I'm Pete George, and we are live on Game Changers with Vicki Abelson. Our guest tonight is Cindy Shupak. Yay! Yay! All right, so Cindy, Cindy's been a part of this craziness, and I'm sorry to all of you out there. It's what? It's 7.04. This is not good. This is not good. But I just, in, in our defense, I just want to say we drove two hours to get here, and then we couldn't find our way in the maze it's of a park. It's a fortress. It's a fortress. This is my writing apartment, and there's no way in. There, there is no <laughs> way in, and there's no way out. So you're forced to stay here and write. Yeah, that's, that's the secret to your that's success. That's the secret. Yeah, like no one you... can visit, and <laughs> I can't get that's out. That's why nobody can. <laughs> nobody can visit. And then, oh, look at that. That's a very weird. Oh, okay. So Pete, that's actually a good. You did that look very how well. How bad Pete. my wall looks, though. No, can you okay. just explain. This is not my nicest room. <laughs> All right, so they have to go to the promo video, and then they can see that you... There's some uh, furniture. There's furniture, and also you have a view of the marina, which is fantastic. Yeah. Like, how do you write looking at that? Is it, yeah, I keep the shade down. Yeah, to, yeah because that would be too distracting, because yeah. it's too beautiful there. Yeah. You are too beautiful. So I'm, I'm just... This is going to distract Cindy also, but I'm, I'm, I'm going to try and get us up here so that we can see who's watching us. Okay. All right, so don't make yourself crazy. Um, I'm not going to look. All right, don't look. But except I can't get it to do what it's supposed to do. So glad you waited four minutes for this. I, I you know, <laughs> this is this is the thing about live. There's no net. It, it just is what it is, and, and and now this is making me crazy. So okay, we'll, I think we'll just knock it all out. I'm gonna get it so we can say hello to people. So who's watching? Michael Esposito says hello. Hi, hello, Michael. Michael Esposito. And there's Rich Parker, and and I can't see who else is watching yet, but soon we'll be able to see. All right, Cindy. Yes, Cindy. Vicky. Otherhood. Okay, so we're gonna, you know, I don't usually start at the end, I usually start at the beginning. Uh -huh. I, I think this is worthy of starting at the at, oh, at, good. At, at current events. Because this is exciting. Yeah. This is it. So, tell, so, okay, so you're, so Cindy's for directorial debut, uh -huh. and you wrote, you, okay, but now, is, did you, you didn't write it from scratch. Right, I did not. There was a book. Am I talking to you or these people? You, talk talk, talk to them as much as possible. And <laughs> talk talk to, to Esposito, yeah. Kelly Olson, hi. They're liking it. Um, okay. Um, this started as a book, a British book called Whatever Makes You Happy by William Sutcliffe. And then there was a script commission by the producer, Kathy Shulman, and Mark Andrus, who won an Oscar for As Good As It Gets, did the first draft. And it's really, it was so good. And I loved his draft so much that I took this, I was hired to rewrite it. Okay, now, so why, there are a lot of writers that are, that are watching. Mm -hmm. A guy who wins an Academy Award for As Good As It Gets, I mean, it doesn't get much better than As Good As It Gets. No, that's As Good As It Gets. It, right? So so why are they bringing you in for a rewrite? What I don't, don't they know. Like? Do, they I, do they tell you when they're bringing you in for a rewrite, we want this? Yeah. I mean, I was working on Sex and the City at the time, or had, and it was like, we wanted it a little funnier, a little more from the female perspective, ah. because it was always a mother-son story, but I brought in a bit more of bringing the women together and kind of crossing the stories a little more. I but, see. Um, but the bones were there. It was such a good script that I loved so much that I just took it hoping I could kind of preserve what I loved and just polish it up. And then, um, and then I thought some director will make this movie and it will be great and I'll watch it in the theater. And instead it just kind of hit all these turn went into turnaround and then about five years in the producer had he already won the he'd already yeah. won the oscar for as good as it gets yeah does he get upset that they're bringing in someone to rewrite a script you know i did something that i don't know if i recommend but i wrote an i wrote a letter to and i sent it to his agent to send to him 
saying like, I love this script so much. I'm being hired to do the next draft, but I want you to know that I will do this so lovingly and probably protect Aww. it more than you would. And then I never heard anything and I felt like, well, what writer really wants to hear from the writer? And then years later when we were gonna make this movie, the producer talked to him and he said, I was the only writer who ever did that and he had saved my note and it was like on his wall or something. So that was kind of great. <laughs> That's kind of great, but I, but I wonder why he didn't reach back out. I don't, I don't, I don't know, yeah. but it's fine, it's yeah. okay. That was kind yeah. of a lovely, yeah. yeah, that's kind of nice. Yeah, but I mean, in film, it's just common that people get replaced. Like, I've been called on projects where the pedigree of writers that have come before me are so great that I think, like, what did they not do that they think I'm going to be able to do? But it's just kind of the process in film. Has it ever happened the other way around? I have, yeah, I guess there was a movie I wrote based on a Nick Hornby book that wanted to turn around and for a while old Parker was gonna direct it and so he was doing a rewrite. Like a few times I've had things that I know, but I feel like good, make the make movie. Make it better. Yeah, make right. it better or make the movie. Okay, so, so okay, so it's, it comes to you, what so stage like are you rewriting it? it? So that was like 10 years ago. Okay. Uh, it was at Fox Searchlight and then they kind of passed on it even after my rewrite. They actually told Kathy, I think it was maybe too commercial, which kind of didn't fit their brand, but it wasn't a big block company. Did it have um, stars attached to it at that point? No. No. Okay. And then... Did he write it with somebody in mind, or did you write it with anybody in mind? I mean, I had kind of dream casting maybe, but you know, sometimes it helps me write just thinking about certain actresses sure. as you think how they would do it. I actually, so in our little promo when you were holding the champagne glass, so at one point I was Ooh, imagining yeah. Meryl Streep, because who doesn't imagine Meryl oh, Streep in the in the in Helen's role, I guess, which is played by Felicity Huffman. But originally I, I was imagining that. Meryl Streep, and I um and I made the script, you know, as if Meryl Streep was going to read it and decide to do it. So I think I tried to make it so much better. And I met her at a Women in Film event, and I said, I just want to let you know that probably you have improved the, the level of film all over Hollywood because people write it with you in mind and even if you don't do it, it raises the level of the writing. I love that. And, and she handed me her champagne glass and I wasn't sure if she thought I was drunk and she was like, here, have another drink or if she was like, that's such a nice thing, take you my did. champagne. So I saved the champagne glass and in our little promo moment, you were kind of holding it at one point. That's in my trophy case. <laughs> I, I love that. I, you know, I, I heard you say something on, a, on an interview today I was watching and you were saying, I think it was a TED Talk, or something like a TED Talk. Yeah. It wasn't a TED Talk, but it was like a tech Yeah, something. I did do pop tech. Pop tech. Like that, yeah. And you were saying that you should pick somebody to write to and write for that person. And that's a very Stephen King thing. Did you ever read On Writing, Stephen yes. King's book? Yes, that threw me off, though, because, and then that's a great book, but he does an outline, and he is such a brilliant writer. And then On Writing, he talked about he does an outline because he likes the characters to surprise him. Yeah, I don't. So I that. tried that. My characters did not surprise yeah, me. Yeah, I don't write from an outline, but what I did take from him is that <laughs> I, I do have an ideal reader, uh -huh. and it's very much what you were saying. Yeah. I write, but I made Stephen King my ideal reader when I was writing my book. Well, that's a high but, bar. I mean, I don't know that I reached it, but that was like what I was shooting for, but so I get it. That yeah, I I've said before, um, especially when I write essays, like comic essays, mm -hmm. I used to imagine I was writing like an email to my friend Marie, who just gets me and laughs at what I say, and I know that she's she'll just understand me and, and she'll love me and she'll know where I'm coming from, and so I sort of imagine like I'm telling her the story that mm -hmm. I'm gonna tell readers, 
And that way, you don't imagine just this faceless audience who might hate you. You kind of imagine, okay, they're going to receive this laugh at it it just sort of helps to imagine a person rather than a big faceless i like that. you imagine stephen king which well i, d- I did only for that personal <laughs> essay though i i probably i don't know if i write to a specific person yeah. once you do it for a while you kind of can visualize a real audience laughing in the same way your friends would but in the kind beginning of. it kind of intimidated me yeah, you had a great modern love that, and, and just scoring the modern love is such a huge thing. New York Times has a column called Modern Love, and Sydney had a great one, and uh, that's just such a huge thing because there are a lot of very Tony writers who don't make that cut. You know, uh, I know the editor that I didn't before, but I've had two pieces in there actually. Both were in books and like, but. I always loved that column. That was a goal of mine forever because mm-hmm. it's such a good column and the pieces are such like little microcosms of sometimes a movie or a book or it's just like a pivotal story in people's lives and always about love. And mm-hmm. um, and I love that column and so I wrote a piece that got published in there and then the editor, Dan Jones, I've kind of gotten to know and I've sent him pieces from friends. He reads everything, even if you just send it in from the site, if you read mm-hmm. the directions on how to send in a modern love. And uh, he definitely reads everything and thinks about it, and it's kind of a, I think it's still a meritocracy, so it's just as likely that like someone in college who has a great story will get published as a very famous author, because he really just goes by the story. I love that. Yeah. Did you ever have one turned down? Uh, probably. I feel like I, I, I'm trying to think, I feel like I sort of got a sense of like what was great, and it, both times it was like when I had a book coming out. Actually, one time there was an essay that ended up in my second book, but I wrote it originally for this book called um, Girls Who Like Boys Who Like Boys. And it was sort of about, and it was called The Get, and it was about this Jewish get. It was one that ended up in Modern Love. And I wrote it originally for that book that was an anthology that was about like sisters, mothers, you know, ex-wives, girlfriends, um, who had either, who'd been in relationship with a gay man. And mine was about uh, getting this get because my I was married for a short time to a man who realized he was gay and um, we had to get a Jewish divorce a get to get unmarried so that I could marry my second husband and it was sort of about that process and kind of releasing each other to our proper destinies and uh, and I wrote it as a very long piece and then when I sent it to Dan because it was going to be uh, it was sort of to promote that anthology mm-hmm. and then he helped me edit it down and then later I put it in my anthology but I kind of had a sense that was a good I mean, I think the people who were publishing that anthology had a sense that was a good sort of sample piece epitomizing what the anthology would be like tonally. I see. And so Dan helped you edit it down. Is that part of the process when you do a modern love? Yeah. You work he, with him? Yeah. Uh-huh. And he's a great editor. Yeah. He really helps you because it has to be a certain word count. So uh, he can, he'll look at them longer, but then he'll help you edit it down. I have not had the balls to send one yet. Oh, you should totally send I mean, like, I, I figure like I need the perfect column yeah. for that. So I've been wait, you know, I've gotten a bunch published all over the place, but I, I have waited for the, I've also waited for the happy ending. Because yeah. it seems to me that most of the columns that get published have a happy no, ending. No, I think just an interesting, like, lesson. An yeah. interesting moment mm-hmm. of realization. Mm-hmm. Something you learn about yourself that doesn't necessarily have to be, I mean, I guess it's not depressing, but the realization can be good even if the what happened wasn't right. The circumstances, and that's true. Yeah, that's true. I, I guess I yeah, I've been waiting for the happy ending, and that's who knows how long that could take. <laughs> I, I so. can't wait for that. <laughs> you don't have that kind of time. Yeah, who has that kind of time? <laughs> um, so.
So okay, so other, so let's get back to otherhood, and then we'll then we'll go back in your life and how this all happened. So, so ten years ago, you do the rewrite. Yeah, and then like five years in, the producer Kathy Shulman, who used to be president of Women in Film, she encouraged me to think about directing it. And I thought at least I'll be like one piece of the puzzle. Then at least I didn't know if people would be open to that. But we so then we tried to go the foreign financing route, which I don't know if anyone listening or it's tricky though foreign financing is like they kind of put a value on the actors you have on you me the first time female director a comedy isn't supposed to travel very well and this was a comedy is that so women of a certain age was not very mm -hmm. interesting you know they want like an action movie that can and travel. you don't need an, uh, you don't need talent attached before you go to well, foreign you um if they were interested and then you had to attach talent so we would have to, based on, and then the foreign financer would sometimes have feelings about what level of talent or who was okay. It was a whole thing. Right. But we had a few stops and starts with that even and had some cast and then either a cast person would fall out or financing would fall out. So it was just such a roller coaster. And then finally Netflix came along and financed it and so we got it made. With okay, so wait, before you get to, to Netflix, so had you on set, who was telling me last week um, that uh, Peter, Peter Page, mm -hmm. uh, um, queer folk, and he has the Fosters on, and, and Good Trouble, he, that are his, and he was saying that um, he was watching on set, when he was an actor, he was always watching what everybody was doing, uh -huh. you know, he was a writer as well, and uh -huh. watching what everybody was doing, did, was that your training ground to be a director, like, yeah, yeah, I think so, I, I mean, so in television, you kind of rise up the ranks as a writer, and you're, and at the highest level, you're hiring directors, but you're also on set with a lot of different directors, so you get to see a lot of good people. Mm -hmm. I mean, on Sex and the City, we had some great ones, oh, like yeah. David Frankel and Coulter. And, uh, so that was great, because I saw a lot of directors coming through and learned how they worked. But I was really there as a writer, mm -hmm. and I wasn't thinking about directing then, because I actually really liked that collaboration. Mm -hmm. But this film, I just couldn't seem to let go of this film. And so, as, uh, since I attached as a director and then was trying to get it made and finally it was looking good, uh, I actually got in my contract at the last TV show I did, I'm Dying Up Here, on Showtime we'll to direct an episode. So right before I directed oh, my film, I directed an episode. Nice. But even so, even though it was just an interesting learning process to realize I knew a lot of what I needed to know from being on set. I right. knew more than I realized I knew. Mm -hmm. But then, and then the things I didn't know yet, like really the camera part, which sounds laughable, because I think when you think of director, you think the camera part is directing. But that's what I thought, but it really is a part of it. It's like a slice of it. Sure. So I leaned heavily on my DP and had got a good like dialogue with him and got someone who wouldn't make me feel stupid. And um, How and did you, how did that process happen? How did you pick the DP? I um I went with the old school Declan Quinn mm -hmm. who's done like in America and he did um, um leaving Las Vegas he's great. Did you have a personal no no just the script goes out to DP agents mm -hmm. and then you meet with the ones that are interested and he was not only really great and his credits were great but he loved the script and was had worked with first time directors before nice. and I just had a nice rapport with him and felt like we were speaking the same language and I would be able to explain what I wanted it to feel like even if I didn't have the language of like what lens or you know we could figure it out together if I could just right. describe what I wanted to feel like what I wanted people to feel what the tone of it was I could you know find another language to still communicate what I wanted. Had he worked with female directors before? Did he? Yeah I think he had yeah. 
because I would think that would be an interesting thing too. It yeah, could, it could possibly be an interesting thing. Yeah, he's a really nurturing, great guy, so I think he probably would work well with either. Mm. Yeah, could be an interesting thing. Yeah, because there are some DPs where I felt like they kind of the crews their guys. Right. And I wasn't sure if I would, you know, feel like they were second guessing me or thinking critically of what I was doing and I really wanted it to be collaborative and the crew would be following Did you ours. have female, did you have crew yeah. that were female? Yeah, a lot of good female crew. If you watch at the end of the movie, we mm -hmm. pulled the camera back. I did uh, watch. So when everyone's dancing around the car on the sound right. stage, there's yeah, a yeah. lot of female oh, crew. Oh, you know, I wasn't paying attention to who was dancing with yeah. you. That's very cute. But there's that, a lot of female did. crew that you see. It was okay. kind of like everyone who made the movie. And, and then we had like a great um, production designer who was a woman. We had the costume designers from Sex and the City, so that Fantastic. was great. Um, music supervisor, our gaffer. So oh, yeah. fabulous! Yeah, I, I just went to a, a screening of the, the final Handmaid's Tale, um, and they brought out they first brought out the cast, but then they brought out the crew, and everyone on the crew, the main crew, were women, uh, with the exception of the composer. Everyone else was a woman. It was like. Wow, and then yeah. all the women, and it was like, okay, this is pretty fabulous. Yeah. So it's great that you were an able amazing to. finale. Oh my, oh my god. god, wasn't it? Let's talk about the handmaid's tale. Yeah, yeah, no, we're not going to talk about the handmaid's <laughs> So I mean, good, oh though. My god. Um, so, okay, so, so you come to this point, you get, you get uh, foreign financing, that's how it happens. We tried, and then. Oh, no, no, Netflix. Yeah, and oh. finally Netflix came along. And I felt like Netflix was a place where these sorts of movies that I had missed. That were character driven and sometimes female leads and just different voices and different stories that hadn't been told and weren't getting told in the theater could exist because they're really looking to expand the voices and the points of view so it was just such a relief because netflix not only financed it but just created a platform where these sorts of movies can exist and mm -hmm. get shown and get seen so and they were super hands-off about the production they that's made. what i hear about netflix yeah they're really i mean maybe just the sheer volume, they can't possibly micromanage everything, <laughs> but they really seem to respect the filmmaker's vision and understand, like, make your film, put your film, you know, let your film find the audience. That's so fabulous. I, I saw a panel that Marta Kaufman did. I, I don't know what her, net, I can't remember what the Netflix show she was working on at the time, but she was saying, Frankie and, um, oh, Grace, Fra Fra Grace and Frankie, Grace and, Frankie. and yeah. she was saying that they would come to her and they'd say, get out of your comfort zone. You know, like, you're moving into your comfort zone. Get out, get yeah. out, get out. Uh -huh. And that they were really encouraging her to... That's the best kind of note. Wow. HBO used to say that. Oh, when really? I was on Sex and the City. It was like, make it deeper, messier, and that's just the best kind of note. Wow. It's not a network note. <laughs> no, that's not a network note. And you've had experience with, with all of those. Yeah. So that's great. Okay, so so let's let's go back. Okay, so how about attaching the cast with other How did that happen? So, um, well... Well, it's funny because Angela, I mean, of course, these are the dream, this is the dream cast. Angela had been a name we'd thought about for a long time, Angela, Angela Bassett. Bassett. Yes. None other than. <laughs> and um, she just, we finally, after a lot of years, we went to Mary Bernou casting. She's with Betty May. Mm -hmm. And she said, you're going to go, she told me, you're going to go on meetings with all sorts of actresses, none, some of whom you won't be thinking you're gonna want, some might not even be somebody that Netflix would be excited about, but mm. me with a lot of actresses, let's start like a buzz. Okay. <laughs> Which I had been with this script so long that I kind of felt like I'm carrying around this old bag of wares and everybody's seen it in the past. Mm. And so it was kind of great. And on those meetings, I got so fortified by the actresses just being encouraging to me. I mean, I met with some great people like Fiona Shaw, and I mean, uh, 
it was it was really and I met Felicity Huffman at that point in on those meetings I met at like Casa Del Mar and just mm -hmm. sat and talked to them and the women had great stories about empty nesting which is what the film's about mm -hmm. and also were just really encouraging to me and um, so and they be, all became executive producers didn't they yeah the the actresses mm -hmm. did. So anyway, I was doing that, and then meanwhile, it was going out with offers to certain actresses, and Angela was the first one, and she loved the script and was going to do it. And so my meeting with her was like the last thing that happened in her process. Like I was just could mess it up, I guess. <laughs> it was like she signed on pending the meeting with you, and if that goes wow. well, she's on. Okay. But once she was on, then um, and that first person in is so key because it's of like. Course what kind of level of actor are you going to get and how serious is this? So once we had her, I think uh, it was more appealing. So it went to Patricia Arquette and she had always loved Angela and wanted to work with her. So she read it and loved it and we met with her and loved her, me and the producer. And then we needed to figure out the third and I, after all the actresses I had met, I felt like Felicity would be the great contrast and you know third to the two of them. Mm -hmm. So we put her in and then we cast all the boys all their sons based on the women and right. at some points like Felicity read with the boys that might play her son and we did some chemistry reads with the like romantic relationships mm -hmm. in it so it was kind of great the women were just great that's so fantastic yeah it was I felt like I won the lottery that cast and so has it been was it the ride that you thought it would be so did you did you hit any walls as a director was anything a revelation was uh... yeah well, um, well I uh, did you rewrite it all? For the yeah. So we did, um, I, we started doing this on I'm Dying Up Here. We would ha do rehearsals of scenes that Melissa Leo was in with her, like whoever was in the scene with her, because mm -hmm. she sometimes had feelings about what might need to be rewritten or just questions, and instead of finding that out on set, we realized let's do rehearsals and then we can address these first. So I had been used to that process with her, so after the table read, I did that with the three women mm -hmm. together, and we read through all their scenes for two days. And then we did the women and their sons, and we read through their scenes. And based on those rehearsals, I did some rewriting, mm -hmm. kind of like things we discussed or things they ad-libbed that were great, so mm -hmm. why not use those? Mm -hmm. And I think one of Patricia's best lines in the film there's a scene on a stoop and she says like this big bruised bloody beautiful thing this is your life that was the line she sort of said we read the scene as it was and then they just she and jake hoffman especially she was like let's just try it just say what we you know just go through it and and they ad libbed some great stuff and then i took the best of it and put nice it in. yeah so it's very collaborative it was fun so you're not you're, you don't hold your words precious I didn't. I, I really was hoping not to, and then I just found there, some great things came out of those really mm -hmm. natural, when the actors were in the moment, kind of moments. So, and, uh, I, so I was always open to if there was something good that was suggested. Or That's better. wonderful. Yeah, it was fun. Because it's not always that way. Yeah, I was somewhat calm. I don't know why I was pretty calm, but you know, I... I'm, you know, married with a kid, and I went to New York to film this movie, and I was alone in New York, and uh, so just not having to be also married and a mom, even though I tried to still call home, mm -hmm. I mean, even though it was really hard directing, it felt like, oh, this is all I have to do, right? Just, just be here and do the job. Being the mom is the big yeah. gig. Yeah. It's, yeah. So, yeah, my husband took good care of my daughter. She came and visited, and she was an extra on the set. But somebody told me, like, your first time directing, as much as I thought I might want my family there for support and mm -hmm. to come home to, 
you're going to come home to people and you're going to feel like you need to talk to them and you're going to feel bad you haven't been with them and that's just not something you necessarily need your first time out especially right and um it was good that I didn't I think because it definitely you just come home spent and you want to then clear your head and get some sleep and then wake up and think about the next day and there's so much thinking and decompressing and second guessing that it's like in your head even if you were with people it would be in your head right (laughs) how long was the shoot it was just 27 days. Oh, wow. That's yeah, really it was short. Fast. Yeah. And we did, we ended up with like a two and a half hour assembly. So we got everything and we cut it down to like an hour and 40 minutes. But it was a great experience. And even post, every step of the way, I really enjoyed it. Because I loved my department heads. We found great locations. I loved the process of shooting. And then post was kind of great too. And we worked with a great composer and just finding the right like needle drop and also the score was really fun. We worked with Marcelo Zarvos and it was great. It was a good experience. My editor, Kevin Tent, he did a lot of the um, films that, he does all of Alexander Payne's films. Oh wow. And he was great at the end and he went all the way through the end with me. So we were together at the sound mix and I just felt very protected. Were you you a part of, a big part of that process? Yeah, all the way through. Mm -hmm. I didn't take on another job, not like I was you know, but I just decided like I'm just gonna land this plane. It's been such a long process. I want to like see it through. So I feel like I didn't fill up my plate with anything else, and I was just there for every step, post, like the trailer, finding the right trailers, and the how, posters. And so how long was the post part? It was of it? long because we started with a, a different editor that mm-hmm. we ended up replacing with Kevin Tent. So we went like ten weeks with that, and then we went I think another eight weeks with Kevin and. Um, it was long. I remember before I thought, what am I doing for that long? Because television, you have like five days or ten days. Right. But there was plenty to do. <laughs> and to find the right music and to just find what to cut and really find the movie in post. And did you have, were you happy with your guide? I'm sure you were guided with the music, I assume. Yeah, I had, um, yeah, Linda Cohen, who's a music supervisor, and she was great. Sorry, I think my alarm yeah. is going off. In the oh, other room. is it an alarm or a phone? <laughs> I think it's an alarm. Pete, hey, yeah. can you turn off the alarm? I don't know. Pete, be able to turn off that the is. alarm? Yeah, oh. it's probably just on my phone or something. So let's say so let's say hi to some people that are watching. So Christina Guzman, hi Phil, hi Chet, hi Laura Frost, Pete <laughs> Tyro, John Myers. Who else <laughs> you is like uh, my line about that's as good as it is. Oh, Thank okay, you, then there you go. Wendy loved other it. Thank you, Wendy. Um, you're reading. See, I'm I'm just reading the people. You're hi Patrick, oh. but you're reading the actual stuff. Hi Val, um, loved Otherhood and highly recommended to all. Well, it doesn't matter. Ah, Val, there you go, right she there. saw my movie in Philly. Hello, hello Val. Um, and Pete will keep track of questions and he'll keep us. And I don't know why it looks like we're frozen, but we're not. We're moving, right, Pete? Mm, we are. Yeah, once in a while, but it is moving. Yeah. Oh yeah. Yeah, we have. Oh yeah. It's like it's it's a funky. We're having a little funky signal, but I think you guys are seeing us live, and yeah, we seem to be, I think it's okay. Yeah. So, okay, so let's go back a ways. If we freeze, just know that we're not really going like this. (laughs) (laughs) Well, maybe I am. (laughs) Um, It's possible. Um, Hi, Robert Tisdale. Hi, Robert. Hi. Um, uh, That's a whole other story. What do you guys want to know? Oh, when writing, how do you know when the line in the script is right or maybe right? Patrick Reese. Well, um... I don't know if you do, like on a TV show like Sex and the City mm-hmm. or even Modern Family, those characters are so well drawn that you can just sort of hear them saying it in your head and mm. you, you can just feel. And after doing so much TV, I feel like TV is like boot camp. And I did Everybody Loves Raymond, which is in front of a live audience. 
So you actually got to hear if lines you wrote worked. Right. So you sort of work that muscle where you just start to get a sense of like, this is going to work, even if without an audience. Right. So I somewhat have that. And in fact, in this movie, there's a line that's in the trailer uh, that was um, when Patricia Arquette says, um, her son says, you, he says, she's talking about you didn't call me on Mother's Day, and he says, I texted you, and she says, I birthed you. <laughs> and I could hear that in my head, and I knew it would be in the trailer, and I like knew it would be a big laugh. And when we were filming, I didn't know how to express that exactly, because Patricia does everything well, and right. she wants to, you know, she's not playing for the laugh, she's right. playing it real. Mm -hmm. So I was like, this is a big line. And I also knew that about the line uh, when Felicity Huffman, when they're driving away and she goes, make him love you and the car's leaving. <laughs> I just always thought that's, this is going to be a good line. Uh -huh. so, so every once in a while when people tell me their favorite line, I'm like, I knew that yeah. one. So, so sometimes how, you know. How do you do that? How? So what did you do with Patricia with that line? Did you direct I just, her? What did you do? I did. I mean, I was trying to get a certain performance like the way I heard it. And mostly I don't try to do that because sometimes you hear it one way, but they do something brilliant. But I just had a feeling that needed to be really strong and and funny and then move on. And somehow I just... I probably didn't do it in a very diplomatic or great directorly way, but I was like... I mean, did you give a line reading? I try to avoid giving a long <laughs> right. line reading. Although I have learned you can sometimes give a line reading without saying the line. Like, Ooh. without saying, um, I birthed you. You can say, it's like, I did everything for you. And then ah, you sort of give the line. <laughs> but you're not quiet, so it allows them the dignity of doing it themselves for the yeah. first time. I like that. But she found laughs and great moments in places where I didn't see them, and that's the greatest part. It's like the lines you didn't know would work and that, that are How's really right? funny. Like she came up with, I think, in that scene, she says there was a thing about social media. She's sort of following her She's son's talking girlfriend. about social media a lot, actually, in that scene. Yeah. Yeah. And I think I can't remember if she ad-libbed. She did a beach cleanup, which always made me laugh because she just came up with that. And also there's a few times where she just sort of runs out of breath as she's doing this long list. And that made me laugh. Like, there's things that they did that were just kind of fantastic that you couldn't plan. That's pretty fabulous. Yeah. Yeah, it's great when you have a list and you can just lean on them too. Yeah. Or just know that they will. Yeah. How, 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 how controlling a director or how free-spirited a director are you? I th well, I know two of the boys, Jake Hoffman and um, and Sinkwa Walls, who's gorgeous, played mm -hmm. Angela's son, and Jake's amazing, and he's uh, Dustin Hoffman's son, if you might have recognized him. <laughs> I did not, you know, and I know Dustin. Yeah. Wow! Uh, no, I haven't interviewed him, but I waited on him like 40 years ago, and then I re-met him recently. Ah. But that, I did not put that together, and now that, now you, know that, that. you said it, totally but get it. But he's his own special special like amazing actor but wow it was funny because I was thinking like I wish I could find like a young Dustin Hoffman like I kept thinking there's nobody quite this role because I was hearing a certain rhythm and mm. then when he auditioned in New York and they sent me the tape and then I called him and he kind of had he'd made films he'd been on film sets but he said that he was kind of he wasn't really committing to acting for probably good reason I'm sure it's like hard when your dad is like Dustin. yeah so, but he finally was ready to, and then the script came along and it really spoke to him. So it was like just the right timing. So it was Did you know years. when you first spoke to him who he was? I did it when I saw his audition and mm -hmm. I was just like, who was this amazing, perfect character? Yeah. <laughs> and then uh, I think I realized before I called him, but even so, so it just seemed 
So I sort of understood why he had maybe had reluctance, but mm-hmm. I also felt like, how have I not... I think the first thing I said to him was like, how are you not in everything? Right. Because I thought he was he's, so talented. He's pretty wonderful. And I just thought, and he's not, he doesn't have things keeping him out of Hollywood, so how is he not in everything? He probably grew up around it. But of course, there's like reasons because it's probably daunting, but he's so good. I think he will be in everything. Yeah, he's wonderful. Yeah. And now that you said it, that's all I can see yeah. now, <laughs> seeing his face. It's like, of course, how did I yeah. not get that? Not to do a disservice to him because he really no. is like such a good actor on his, in his own right. And he doesn't have that... Boy, he doesn't have that, that yeah. voice. His voice is different. Yeah. Which is good. Yeah. Because then he's his own person. Yeah. I like that. That's very cool. Why did I bring him up though? Oh, I, I can't. I was asking you how much of a direct, how much of a controlling oh, so, director so you are. So he and Sinqua have said in interviews how I was really so chill and like had a clear vision, but also had room for them to, um, to collaborate and offer suggestions. And Jake used to tell me, um, I'm going to give you suggestions. I'm going to trust you not to use the shitty ones and just use the good ones. And so I think we had like a good trust where he sort of felt like I would, you know, use the good stuff. And I did. I used a lot of stuff he pitched. So it was, so I was. So they were, they felt free to pitch. Yeah. Uh Yeah. It wasn't that controlling. Really, there was a part of me that felt like, I don't even know what I'm doing. So I'm not going to control this too much. But I knew when it felt real. I mean, I just wanted to like watch it and see if it felt real to me. Was anything scared? Did you ever get scared? Like, did you ever like have to act like I'm not scared right now, but I'm really terrified right now? Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I had this very stupid little crystal, <laughs> like a, like a rose quartz that like I lived, I was staying in the West Village and I used uh-huh. to pass this crystal shop and I was like, that is so dumb. <laughs> and then by like day three, I was like, what can you prescribe <laughs> for confidence and <laughs> groundedness and so I found this like rose course and I used to just like kind of hold it and rub it and this probably sounds ridiculous. No, not to me. I'm into all I that just stuff. found it. I mean, people have told me like feel the earth behind be, under your feet, like get grounded that way, but every once in a while I just would have to like calm down, not worry because sometimes we were racing the clock or I just wasn't sure if it was working or uh, and there was a location few... and you were doing location shoots. Yeah. So that's got to yeah. A level of stress. Yeah, and in mm-hmm. fact, there was the one location that was Matt's apartment where there's an elevator, it's a loft, and the elevator was like a big part of the comedy. And yes. it wasn't written mm-hmm. in that way, but when we oh. saw that location, I was like, this is going to be good. We can keep using that. And the night before we shot, we weren't sure we could afford that location, and they found another one, and it made more sense, and it was air-conditioned, and that one wasn't, and uh, it was less money, and it was easier for the crew to park, and there were lots of reasons to use it, and I couldn't... I kept thinking, oh, I don't know if it's going to be as good without that elevator. Mm -hmm. And I couldn't tell if I was just afraid of the change, you know, because it was the night before we were going to shoot, or if I was right. Uh (laughs) But I just decided to, like, fight for that, and the DP backed me up, and he's like, if you think that's where we should be, we should be there. And and it did become, like, a big part of the show. It was, yeah. Yeah, Yeah, I think it was the right apartment. Especially when he comes out with the girl. Yeah. Yeah. So, and there were, but there were a few times I just, said to the DP like I feel like I should know more than I do right now and I I wish I I feel overwhelmed like tell me what we're doing (laughs) I just would admit it if I felt a little overwhelmed that's really good and it's good that you had somebody that you could be that honest with and that uh didn't condescend to you and and helped you through it yeah that's lovely yeah and the actors were great too so Oh, we're alarming again. I think you snoozed it. We're alarming um let's see do we have any other yeah we do Uh, I text you I birthed you it's so memorable 
what's one or two that you wrote that you were confident would hit even before you heard it on the set? Well, yeah, I said I picture I birthed you and make him love you. Um, well, I thought that egg, the bad date, the egg scene, when she's like, uh, I'm trying to skip. It, it was like Jake goes on this bad date and this oh. girl's just doing this oh. long, long metaphor. That's right. in the book. But I just thought that scene would be really funny, but it really turned out so funny because of his reactions to her more than any line, really. So that was kind of fun. But, um, yeah, there were, I mean, there's one line I have in there, like they say, cheating, flirting is not cheating, it's just a pick-me-up for your ego. It's like sexercise. Sexercise. I thought yeah. that would be funny, but I kind of cringe when I hear that now because it seems like one of those Sex in the City puns that we think are funny and then people later go, ugh. So <laughs> partly I'm like, eh, I don't know if I like that. Did you like that, John Meyer, the sexercise line? <laughs> John, John, tell Cindy if you like that line. Um, hi, Cindy Gold is on and, and, and Cindy Beagle. Do you know Cindy Beagle? She used to write uh, Gary Marshall shows, uh, Laverne and Shirley and ah, all of those shows. Oh. I, that's a little before your time. No, I love those shows. Yeah. Yes, of course. Watching them, I'm sure. Yeah. Um, so how, let's go back and talk about how it did start for you because Oklahoma. Yeah. Um, Oklahoma, the birth of, of the comedy writer. <laughs> so, so you're a kid. Are your parents creative? My mom, you know, a lot of what I wrote about Angela Bassett's character is true for my mom. Like, she's an artist. She did a mural on my wall, and she did, like, note cards from photographs. And she's creative, and she used to do kind of art projects with my sister and I. I love when the, that list. Yeah. When he's making list. the list yeah. of the things. Yeah. That was something Mark Andrus added uh -huh. that wasn't in the book that Mark Andrus had in the draft. And then I added, like, the 11th thing. Not to be a spoiler, uh -huh. but there's something in there about um anyway that thing so but that was a great that, yeah that moment seems to get people and we really pushed the composer like don't be afraid to go too far because originally with the composer we were doing kind of singer songwriter feeling things uh -huh. and as we finished the cut we felt like this could support something more orchestral so we ended up orchestrating more and then that moment our composer plays piano and he wrote that piece and we just kept kind of pushing, like, don't hold back. Like, let it be as, we want to cry. Like, it's all right. Aww. In this moment, it's okay to, like, let it be emotional. And I feel like I can feel that. Not that it's manipulative, because I think it is an emotional moment. So mm -hmm. it's just like, let's back it up with the music. Well, I didn't even notice the music. I don't remember <laughs> the music. I didn't notice the music. You know, I was just in the moment. So, ah. so there you go. It worked. Good. So, because if I would have noticed the music, that would be a bad yeah, thing. Yeah, no, I tried really yeah. hard not to have the music lead you, and mm -hmm. I don't like when comedy music leads you, and I, yeah, it's tricky. Yeah. So, um, okay, so your mom was, art, was uh, artistic. artistic, and your dad? Is kind of a jerk. <laughs> <laughs> ah, there you go. He doesn't, he can't figure yeah. out how to use Facebook, so I feel safe. Okay. YouTube and other places where he might be able to access them but he we, wasn't we very supportive of my mom's art ever they're still oh. married but he just like always dismisses it and I felt like she could have been an artist she kind of is an artist but anyway and um yeah I felt anyway my dad he he was he pushed us to be smart hard what workers what did he, make what did good he grades do? he's an accountant so we, we well, understand. Yeah. Right? Not, not creative. Yeah. But he felt like a woman should have a career to fall back on, kind of. And so he didn't really, he wasn't that evolved as far as go get what you want. So it's been interesting. Like, I feel like, though, maybe low expectations is part of my success. Because, <laughs> I, I mean, they believed in me. And they, 
but I don't know if they thought I was going to, like, there wasn't a, something in my family where we go on and we do great things. <laughs> so Which I feel like, <laughs> so, so I feel like the bar was low and, um, and everything was kind of a happy surprise as opposed to I had to live up to something. So when you're a little kid, I know you had a, a, a Look, experience. Look, I just my dad is a jerk. <laughs> <laughs> Sorry, dad. Anyway. Um, you know but John Myers are. did like that one. Yeah. Hey, so Pete George is here. Pete, come around for a second and say hello to everybody. And and I'm gonna give. We're gonna have a Pete commercial now because Pete's gonna talk a little bit about his little experience. No, oh. his, his big experience. You don't have to go there. Do you have to? Go? Oh yeah, you won't yeah, be in the, the. You won't be in the show. Hey everybody. Pete George, everybody. Hey. Welcome back, Pete. Thank I really you. missed you last week. I missed you. It was. You didn't. You were. You were. You were in. Tell fun. us where you were. Yeah. I was in Mansfield, Ohio, for the Shawshank. 25th anniversary, and uh, it was at the prison, and we had the director, Frank Darabont, and most of the actors were there, and probably 20,000 people the whole weekend. It was fun. crazy. Such a so, great movie. Such a great movie, right? And you were naked in it. I was naked in <laughs> it. Tim Robbins. He got to see Tim Robbins. Yeah. But Tim Robbins got to wear a sheet. Yeah, I did. didn't get a sheet. It made me union. <laughs> Sometimes you have to do crazy yeah. things to get your union. Yeah. That's why it's called SAG. <laughs> so, hey, thank you. He was so, the extra in the prison. I yeah. just found this out. Yeah, so, and how long did you shoot, Pete? I worked on it for almost two months. Which is crazy. 30 yeah. scenes, and um, wow. yeah, it was awesome. It was a great time. Pictures on my uh, Facebook page. Excellent. So, Pete fantastic George. weekend. And I have shows in three weeks in Detroit. Okay. One night stands. Oh, That's the sorry, ladies. Thank you, Pete. Thank you. Okay, so Pete, you're going to tell us from now on, we're not going to look at the questions. You're going to, you're going to feed them to I us, am, okay? yes. Okay. And if there aren't any, I'm going to make them up. Okay, good. Okay? That's so, okay. so if you have questions, write them out, and yeah. then Pete will, will tell us what I they will. are. I will. I'll be okay. here. Over there. Okay. Okay. Okay, so... So I, I saw something where you were saying that, so writing, what, what was the very first thing you wanted to be when you grew up? Like um, you're a little girl. Uh, well, I wanted to be a writer. You did. Because I had this teacher, and I can't remember if it was third or fifth grade, and I think I've said both at different times, but <laughs> I think it was third. And she encouraged me, and I used to like go on family vacations and write poetry, and I just, you know, I liked that I was a writer, like I liked the idea that I was a something, mm -hmm. and there wasn't anything else. So. I just liked that and I felt like I wanted to be a writer and then I went to journalism school thinking that's how you could make a living as a writer, so I went to Northwestern. And I wasn't a very good hard news journalist and it took me a while to find my way into like comic essay writing. Okay, so how did that happen for you? Well, I went, I, so I tried to get jobs at newspapers and I didn't and then I got a job in advertising, like when online was just starting because I'm so old, so it was like prodigy, but it was in New York. So I was living in New York City, reading essays. I like finally discovered that kind of writing mm -hmm. that now seems obvious to me, but I just hadn't really right, been but exposed. That, but that, uh, yeah, but that then I don't. It wasn't yeah. what it is now. Like in Chicago, there was mm -hmm. Mike Royko, and then there's David Sedaris, of course, and yes. then there were like a few people writing really funny first-person essays, mm -hmm. and I started to discover that, and it was written. You know, when I was trying to write poetry, I was using words like uh, the dawn, the night duck. I was like imitating <laughs> yeah. smart poets, but I didn't know what I was doing. And then I was like, oh, these people are using like very conversational language mm -hmm. and just being funny and honest. And uh, so it kind of spoke to me and I wrote a piece and sent it into a magazine and they published and it kind of started everything for me. And in fact, my friend Rob Lauterstein, who's a comedy writer, he always said, Pete, that I got in like, he says that I got in like the lottery win. 
And he got in like the Shawshank Redemption. Like he had to like dig with the coffee spoon. And I was like, I wrote an essay and got in, but it wasn't quite that. Okay, so you wrote an essay, and and what? How did that? So that essay got seen by a magazine editor who was it a romantic? No, it was like all about only in New York. It was called Only in New York. Okay, it's in my um, Between Boyfriends book, Mm -hmm. and it was just like funny things about New York and. and, Can you think of any? Yeah, like New York is uh, naming your mouse after someone you despise so you can eventually kill it. <laughs> and New York is always knowing where your purse is. And New York is knowing when a woman races across the room to ask whose dress you're wearing. She's not asking from whom it was borrowed, but for the name of the designer. <laughs> that happened to me once, and I was like, Lauren, my friend Lauren Goldstein. So I like, somehow thought she like, had seen my friend in it or something. So I was <laughs> so classic. So it was just like that, uh-huh. and it got published, and then another magazine editor saw it and encouraged me to write a few more essays, and then a TV producer team saw it, and they were doing a TV show, and they said I should think about sitcom writing, but I still had well, to like... Wow, that's a big... It was kind of a big thing, but it still took me a while, because like I went to LA, and then I took a class. I met Phil Rosenthal, because he was friends with a friend of mine's brother, and uh, he was... A was he on Coach then? He was on like down the shores. Oh, oh, okay. And he told me, I told him my story, and he's like, So you're not, you have to write a spec script or something. And his advice to me was like, Take a class. Okay. Did you hear Phil saying that? Take a class. Yes, I can see. So he's like, Take a class. Cindy and I met at Phil Rosenthal's movie, (laughs) actually. And then years later, I worked with him on Raymond. But you didn't work with him on coach? Was he already off coach? I did, yeah. I worked with him on coach first and then on Raymond, yeah. So he encouraged me to take a class. I took a sitcom writing class. I where did you take class at UCLA oh. Extension? There you go. And then I was the that woman, helpful. It was. And the woman teaching it, mm-hmm. Ellen Sandler, had just broken up with her husband, who was a writing partner. So she asked me if I wanted to write with her. Wow. And okay. Then, when your teacher asks you if you want to write with her, it that's was a, a pretty good sign. It was funny too because the whole time I wasn't sure I was doing well, and then at the end I was like, I guess I was okay. Oh, yeah. And then we wrote together for like seven years and started on What's kind of bad shows. What's the first thing you wrote together? We finally, we got on a show called uh, Baby Talk with Scott Bayo. Mm. That then was like reinvented a few times, but we were on that. We were on like a show called The Mommies. We were on kind of shitty shows for a long time. And then finally we worked with Robin Schiff who knew the people at Coach and told them Barry Kemp about us and we got on coach and Phil Rosenthal was writer on coach and he brought us to Everybody Loves Raymond. Okay, so now let's just stop a second. Women in the writers' rooms. Are you the only women in the writers' rooms? Are there other women in the writers' rooms? Often. Often we were the only women. Like Mm -hmm. when we were at Raymond, I think there was us and maybe one more. Um, But that was like a really menschy, nice room. I mean, mostly I didn't have a bad experience being, you know, I think a lot of times we got hired because they were looking for like a woman for the writer's room. Right. Um, And I didn't mind, especially when I was single, I didn't mind kind of just hanging like the little sister of the guys. Like, I think it was less threatening and easier when we were like lower level. And then as you get higher level, they still need like a higher level woman, but you're getting hired for that maybe. But then I'm now in a group of women showrunners and one time, Somebody was saying, like, how have we not worked together? And my friend Betsy Thomas was like, because there's only one of us. Yeah, it's like we really can't be in the same room together somehow. That's so sad. I know. But on Sex and the City, there was a good good mix. So I've been on some shows now where there's good mixes of them. So what was that? I I know Michael Patrick King from back in the day came up with him. So that had to be, like, I mean, 
major. Well, yeah. I mean, for a woman writer, that just doesn't... Well, what happened was, so I was with that partner on Raymond, uh -huh. and then we we had decided we wanted to like work separately and when you've written with a writing partner you have to like then create new samples mm -hmm. of your work alone right so phil was nice enough to let us each write a script for raymond so we had one produced script separate and then i was going to oh, write nice. a new spec and i also had all these essays i'd done like one a year about dating and so finally i could use those as a did sample. you online date or was that before your time uh i let's see did i I think, I can't remember if I had it. Yeah, I did at that point. Yeah, mm -hmm. I totally did. Mm -hmm. Yeah, but it wasn't Tinder. It was just like J-date. Right, right. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> but I was Jewish at least. Yeah. <laughs> but anyway, I, um, so Phil let us do that, and I was going to write a spec, and Sex so, and the City. So because he knew that you guys were trying to break apart, yeah. so he let you each write. Yeah, which so what, nice I know it, it, Everybody Loves Raymond, it was bringing in personal experience. So what was your experience that you brought into your solo script? Um, I'm trying to think what my solo script was. Did I do Frank? One of my experiences, because I did one about Frank uh, not being allowed to drive the kids anymore, that happened because my dad is a terrible driver, and we always thought... <laughs> Your poor dad knows he's, he's a terrible driver. Okay, good. And we always thought we were going like, to die in the car. But then my sister had kids, and we were like, well, they shouldn't have to die in the car, because they have not, they just came into this family. So we had to tell him, like, you can't, tell, you can't drive the kids. And it was a really hard discussion. So I brought that into the writer's room, and we thought that would be a good Frank story. Great. And, um, and it also brought up also issues of mortality and mm. stuff. So that was one of the ones. But yeah, that was a great room. It was fun to work on that. And then since Phil was nice enough to, he, I was going to spec a Sex in the City. And then I knew Jenny Bix, who was working there at the time. And she said, maybe you could come in and pitch. So he let me pitch a freelance script that they made. What was the script that you pitched to Sex in the City? It was Chicken Dance, the second season. Okay, tell us um, what it was me. like. It was all stuff that happened to me where, uh, so I had bought this house on my own, and everyone said, like, as soon as you buy a place, someone will propose. And then I had these friends house sitting, and they got engaged while they were there in my house. And I was like, that was supposed to happen to me. Oh. So then they asked me to write a poem for their wedding. So I wrote this poem, and then when I was delivering it, I, and it was during the wedding, I got kind of teary about, like, what is happening in my life? Because they had like met, and and I was with this guy who had just like the biggest thing that happened is he gave me the pink toothbrush head, his electric toothbrush. <laughs> so that was like, so I started crying as I was reading the poem, Aww. and then I tried to pass it off like I was just overcome with emotion. <laughs> that works at a wedding, though. <laughs> yeah. yeah. So I pitched that for Carrie. So it was all about Miranda. She's got redecorating her house, and her decorator falls in love with this guy who's coming to visit her, and then Carrie has to write a poem for the wedding, and. It's called the chicken dance. So um, I, I pitched that, it got made, and then I, that process of writing that script and then being there, I got to go to the table read when they read it, and I just was like, this is everything I want to write about and do, and so I, I left Everybody Loves Raymond, which nobody does, and I don't recommend it, because I had finally gotten on like a great show, and it was great money, and it was a hit, and Sex and the City was still you know, very oh. not well known. Oh. My dad, the accountant, was like, "Why are you leaving?" You're and you're leaving network to go to cable. Yeah, it was less money, right. it was less of an order. Nobody knew what it was. But I just thought I can write everything I've been talking to my friends about wow. and stuff I want to write about because I'd been writing on family shows and I wasn't a family yet, wasn't even married then. So it was really fun, and it turned out to be a great move. And I've 
often done moves that seem downwardly mobile. Because <laughs> everything just, is a step forward. Yeah, it, mm -hmm. you're doing the, something for the right reasons. Mm -hmm. Like it led to so many opportunities, even though it was less money and less sure. But you stayed there a long time. Yeah, yeah. the whole rest of the time. Yeah, that that was pretty great. Yeah, that was a great show for me. And so, and and so, how did Modern Family happen? So then, um, let's see, after Sex and the City... Was there something in between there that was big? I think I helped out. Jenny Bix had Men in Trees, and I did mm -hmm. a little bit of that. And uh, I, You know, I've tried to create shows a couple times. Mm -hmm. I've been on for a little while, but I started to realize at a certain point, I wasn't. we had just adopted my daughter. I wasn't sure I wanted to run shows, because mm -hmm. the pressure of... Um, running a show versus just being a writer on the show, mm -hmm. even if you're high up, is so different because mm -hmm. you go home and you're still worried about it and you have to answer to the actors in the network the next day and it's really like a crazy amount of pressure on your back mm -hmm. to run a show. Mm -hmm. And I realized maybe I could just be a second in command or kind of a, a person on a show I love. Yeah. So I, um, so Modern Family came along and so I did that show for like a year and I loved writing that. That was really fun. I mean, the actors were great. It was fun to write those scripts. And then, um, I'm dying up to, and then, yeah, and then I, I mean, I helped, I wrote a script for Better Things mm. when Pam Adlon was first mm. starting it, and then I worked on Divorce in the original room with I Sharon Horgan. I love Divorce. Yeah, I just fun, right? binged, uh, the first couple seasons, and then the third was there, and like, now it's over, and I'm like, yeah. wait! I know, all I my friends more. from Sex and the City, because, like, I did it the first season, then Jenny Bix ran it the second season, mm. and a lot of the writers were on there, and then Liz Cuchillo did the third season. But I was just there for the original room, which was like six weeks, and wrote like one of those, helped break the first season, and then, but Sharon Horgan was in the room, which was great, because mm -hmm. I love her, and um, and Paul Sims, and Sharon, and so I wrote a script for the first season, and then, uh, so somehow I ended up on, and then Dave Labat, who's great, who you should have on, he created I'm Dying Up Here, mm -hmm. and hired me on that, and I had kind of wanted to move into our, because I feel like every time I get comfortable, and good at something I want to move somewhere I may be terrible. <laughs> had, you, had you done an hour before? Well, I did Men in Trees with Jenny, mm -hmm. and I helped out on like the show Cupid. I created this anthology, Love um, Love Bites, that was like a romantic comedy anthology that was an hour. But I hadn't done like a darker hour, and oh. I was curious to do that. So that this was kind of the perfect one because it was stand-ups in the 70s. There's like a lot of drugs and, you know, there was suicide. But it was also funny because there's all the comedy of it. Right. It's a good mix for me. Did you enjoy that? I did. Uh -huh. I loved doing that. Yeah, it's a really nice. Group. And otherhood is kind of you've got all that stuff going on too. Yeah, yeah. I, I like bittersweet. Mm -hmm. I mean, now I think the line between comedy and drama is so blurred. It so is. In a good way. Like there's mm -hmm. dramas that have some comedy and there's comedies that have drama, and you don't really have to declare. I mean, mm -hmm. I think Atlanta and Better Things and Fleabag, some of my favorite shows. I love Fleabag. I mean, the second half. <laughs> if you haven't seen. Playback, just leave and go watch. There's yeah. no reason to stay with us. <laughs> it's crazy. It's so good. And that's like crazy, strange and sad drama, but then beautiful and then funny and so everything. So I think now you don't have to declare, and I like that tone of like being able to ride that line. And for my movie, that's why I really wanted good actors who were, I would rather have like a dramatic actor who can, and then I just trust they can do comedy rather than like a comedic actor you're hoping can do drama. Okay, that's a really interesting thing. Um, uh, Lainey Kazam is doing The Living Room next week, and, and my favorite year is 
like yeah. one of my favorite movies. And you know, Peter O'Toole's um, an actor on the movie star, and, and, and there's a lot of conversation about how comedy is the most difficult thing there is to do. Yeah. So it's interesting that you'd rather work with a dramatic actor and hope he, because isn't comedy something, that's like a whole different gift. Yeah, I mean, I trusted and I'd seen those actors do comedy. And like Angela Bassett w did this great episode of Master of None that Lena Waithe wrote called mm -hmm. this Thanksgiving episode that's amazing too. Just go watch that next <laughs> Um So, I mean, I knew they could do it, certainly. But I wanted the depth and the gravitas and the, the real moments to land. Mm. And then I feel like if you love these characters and you trust them and the story's funny, and the situation's funny, then it will, they be, will funny. be funny. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's kind of like Pedro Almodovar's, you know, work too. I think there's a lot of. I mean, I, I do think comedy is a gift, and not everyone can do it. But I think that good, the kind of comedy that I'm loving now, that is like Fleabag, or mm -hmm. you really have to be able to do both. You do. And there are a lot of sitcom actors that have tried to make the move and. Yeah. They can't do it. Yeah. yeah. And I think it falls like, flat. That emotional stuff doesn't work. Yeah. Mm -hmm. And I mean, I think that's partly the demand of network sitcoms for so long. Like, it's really about the laugh. Like, mm -hmm. that's what they're going for. So you're almost trained to find the laugh as opposed to just let a moment mm -hmm. breathe. And so it probably takes some retraining. I, so, okay. and so, uh, we're going to, we're going to, Pete, I don't know if there are questions, but are, are there, are there questions? Yep. Patrick I have questions. Oh, go ahead. Okay. Here we go. Yeah. Cindy, uh, let me see. Hi, Steve uh, Rollins. I birthed you was memorable. What's one or two lines you wrote or jokes that uh, you were confident would hit even before you heard it on set? Well, yeah, that was that one. I thought yeah. I answered that one already. But yeah, yeah let's. Uh, but he was asking for one or two more yeah, lines. Yeah, one or two more. Yeah. Um, okay, let me think. Uh, well, I think when, in the very first scene, when um, Angela Bassett says, uh, key to a clean house, dead husband. Like, I was hoping that one would hit. <laughs> and that's really one of the first kind of laughs in the movie. And when I watch the movie, it seemed like I get really nervous until the first laugh. And so mm -hmm. when that line comes and people laugh, I feel very relaxed. Mm. But then there's a moment Felicity did when her son sees her and she goes, boo. That was not something I wrote. And that's like the biggest, one of the biggest laughs in the film. And if we're not getting a lot of laughs until then, when I'm with an audience, I'm like, at least that's coming up yeah. and they will laugh. At. <laughs> and then there's a huge laugh that I had not planned at all that um, when the girls are all hungover, I did hope that that scene with all six of them in the hotel room would play really well. And I could hear that and felt like there were a lot of laughs in that. Mm -hmm. But but in the very beginning, the girls are all hungover and Patty Arquette has her shirt on backward and inside out. So you see the tag first, and then you see the tag in front, and then she turns around, you see the v-neck. And it gets such a big laugh, and that was just her idea. And she said later that when she was doing some show, and it was like crazy hours, that she woke up one, one morning, she had her underwear on, like inside out, and like a leg where there was supposed to be a waist or something. <laughs> and so she thought of that. And that, is, so those kind of laughs I love that I had no plan for at all. Mm, I love great. it. Uh, let's see, uh, how did working with three very seasoned female actors affect the dynamic on the set in shooting your first film as the director? That was, um, I, you know, I, don't, I get nervous generalizing, but I will say it was a very nurturing and fun set where people were vulnerable and allowed to just be, and I wasn't trying too hard to impress anyone. I mean, even Angela said of me, like, 
she knows what she knows and she doesn't pretend to know what she doesn't know. And I think that was kind of nice for that. How does the three of them actually yeah, they? Great. Yeah, they were just like all mutual fans of each other. Mm-hmm. So and also they said they don't get to do comedy often, they don't mm-hmm. get to do a female ensemble often, and we were shooting in New York. Mm-hmm. So I think they kind of love that. I know I mean and then that one scene when they're in the car, uh, we that was our one day on a sound stage. Mm-hmm. Every other day we were on location. Oh wow. And so that was the only air-conditioned day and kind of relaxing day. And so they were just sitting in the car, and between takes, I, I could hear them on the you know, mm-hmm. headphones. They were just like, it was like they were on a real road trip. They were Aww. like getting to know each other and Aww. sharing stories about their you know relationships and careers. And I think they really enjoyed getting to know each other. So That's lovely. It was a nice atmosphere. It was fun. That's really sweet. Great. Uh, let's see. Have you thought about trying to, to grab a Hulu or Redbox streaming deal? No, I'm happy to, though, if someone is there from Hulu or Redbox. Great. It hasn't been mine to grab yet, but I'm ha- ready to. <laughs> All right, let's see. Uh, I think this makes sense. For us aspiring writer, producer, directors, actors, a.k.a. Sly Stallone, Matt Damon, do you think it's necessary to get the attention of a major studio or just grab a friend that has red, red camera experience and just go for it? Uh, um, that's a good question. You know, I think it's a time where it is very democratized that you could put something up there. And if you are all those things, you could put something up there and get seen. And uh, I do remember once I knew a guy who wanted to be all those things and he made a film that was not good. Mm. And then you're like, ooh, now I'm not sure if you can't act, direct, write. So just be sure whatever you put out there. (laughs) Yeah, Yeah, and you have no one to blame. See. Mm. If you have someone else who wrote it and directed it, you can go like, you can be a great actor, but they did not do their job very well. So be ready, like put yourself on the line if you're gonna do that. You're, you're, you know, kind of putting it all out there. But I feel like a lot of great people, you know, like Insecure came off a web series and there's been a lot of great shows that have just come off a small piece that you can put out there. Have you ever wanted to be in front of the camera? No, I don't even like this right now. <laughs> Except for I have wine. I, I don't even like this and right I'm in front now. of a phone. I'm watching you going, she's really good on camera. <laughs> no, she's great, great. There you go. I'm right? a little wine. Yeah. Um, you know what? I don't love it. In fact, when I was on TV shows and we would do table reads, they would sometimes assign little parts, like the waitress or right. to writers. Mm-hmm. And I would in- invariably just screw it up. Like it wouldn't be good. And then that character <laughs> would get cut. And I'd be like, wait till there's an actor. It's going to be good. So I don't even like reading in a table read. I don't, I, I like radio. I think I like ah. radio. I just don't like worrying about how I'm looking or what I'm doing mm-hmm. exactly or how, what, if I'm gesturing too much, that kind of thing. But you know, it's all, it's like the acting. It's like whatever is real and organic. That works. Yeah. yeah. It's like not thinking about it. It's not thinking about yeah. this and all I that like stuff. I like storytelling though. Like I like, I yeah, like being in front of a crowd mm-hmm. and live, but I just don't love the whole camera thing. Well, cause then you have to look at it there. Cause then if you look yeah. at it afterwards, yeah, I know it, it's, it can be brutal. And yeah. I, I'm tr- I, I like, it's I'm like, look. I'm already, I don't like the way my hair looks. <laughs> we're, we were all washed out. The white wall wasn't good. You were I right. I had a weird so, thing. Yeah, <laughs> so. um, do we have any more questions? Yeah, one more. Uh, regarding okay. the UCLA extension courses, I just searched it and they have a low budget filmmaking course online. Is it worth it? I haven't done one online, but I think any class can be great because you always get something. You know, you're just trying to pick and choose tools that you'll that'll stick with you. And I took a lot when I first moved out. I um I was working at Disney, 
and they paid for continuing education. So I took like the John Truby sitcom class and um, I just took whatever I could and I feel like I took a directing class with Joan, um, oh my God, I totally forgot her name and she's so good. Shekel, Joan Shekel. And um, I feel like even if the class seems like you're not sure what you're getting, you'll remember something. Mm -hmm. And in fact, Ellen Sandler, who was my um, writing partner for a long time in her class, we would have to pitch stories and she would say before anyone, before she reacted, before anyone reacted, she would say, how do you think you did? Because in Hollywood, no one will be honest. And I have noticed that when I'm doing auditions with actors, uh, I will be the most effusive about the ones that aren't good because I don't know what else to say. So I'm like, that was great. That was so good. Thank you so much. And then when someone is good, sometimes I'm like, ah, like I'm trying to think what should I, what note should I give? And anyway, so her point was. So in other words, actors, the next time somebody is all over you, just know that you suck. They might not have done well. They might not know what else to say. They're trying to get you out of the room. Sometimes I effuse for real though. But um, no, I just think it's a good thing to remember that people might not be honest with you and just to start grading on your own curve. So know how you Okay, so I, 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 I think I heard you say this, and I know it's true for me. I know when something's funny. I know when I write something. You know when you write something yeah. funny. You know, yeah. right? Yeah, and sometimes it even makes you smile just yeah. you know, when you write it. Yes. You can sort of, yeah, you just have a feeling it's going to work. Yeah. I don't know if that's true for everyone, but I think it, it, especially the more you write and the more you've read things aloud, which you've done too, like you get a sense of what people are going to laugh at. Uh, always. Yeah. Yes. Uh, like, I know they're not laughing now. No, they're not. There's nothing funny So is, is there something, Cindy, that... <laughs> you okay, get a sense so, when you're not funny. I like always right know. now. I always know. Yeah. I no, really no know. you just got like a whole bu- bunch of love and stuff. People were like hitting okay. the love button and everything. Okay. Um, <laughs> hi, Polly. Polly's hello. saying hello. Um, Patrick's saying thank you, thank you, thank you. Hi, Karen. Hi, Patty Ann. Hi, Walt. Um, hi, Michael. Hi, Steve Rollins. Steve Rollins is going to be playing piano for Lady Kazan in the living room on Tuesday. On Tuesday, Women Who Write, Lady Kazan... Peter Onorati and James Morrison. It's going to be an amazing wow, that's day. A it's going to be yeah. It's going to be pretty incredible. I've done women who write twice. Vicky, both your books, which is really fun. It's a great day and it's a great event that you do. So and nice. so you have to write another book so you can come back. I, yeah, I do. Okay, I'll get on All it. Right, so so what are you doing now? So what what's what's on your plate? This this Facebook Live. <laughs> Facebook Live. I mean, is there is there something is there is there something that you haven't done yet that you aspire to still? There is. I have kind of a bucket list of mm. things, and one is to do an animated film because I watch them all with my daughter. I mean, really? I do. I hate Even animated. Pixar. I love Pixar. So that's Other, animated. Only Pixar. My sister goes, do you want to write a cartoon? I'm like, an animated film. I love them because I think you can have a lot of heart and you don't have to hide it. You don't have to pretend to be cynical. They're really smart. There's some great ones done. And they just really stick with you. I mean, and they're like some of the last blockbuster kind of movies. I mean, they get a huge crowd at theaters and a family crowd. Uh And as a mom of an eight-year-old, I just sort of love them. So it's something I would like to do at some point. And then I might like to do like a limited series. Okay, so like, does does is it one that is non-genre? So it's not a comedy, it's not a drama, it's kind of whatever. maybe because I haven't come up with it yet. So let's okay. say yes, it's uh, non-genre, it's non-existent. So what's your dis- <laughs> what's, what's what's your discipline as far as a writer? Do you do you write every day? 
Well, I have been, I really, like I said, I want to land this plane and then I'm, this is very strange that I have a clear runway to take this <laughs> metaphor yeah. to its logical conclusion. I rarely have that. I usually have a bunch going on, but right now I really have space to figure out what I want to write and I need to, I just want to like regroup and there's some films that I'm interested in. I mean, now that I'm directed, I could direct some more. I could, I'm, so I have a lot of lanes open mm-hmm. and so I just need to figure out where I want to put my attention but that's a really nice place to be yeah it's a little scary to be like not sure what you're doing next like I like to know usually but I also feel like there's a reason I don't have anything just yet I'm like leaving a little space for there's they say that you need to leave space for there for something to come in yeah because if you're too packed up then yeah okay so we haven't even talked about the fact that there's these really big awards in the other room (laughs) so what was that like winning an Emmy What, what, what is that like it was pretty great, I gotta say. <laughs> you know, I, so speaking of bucket lists, I had this list I wrote, like, I think it was like 1987 or 97. I made this list of like 100 things I wanted to do that I wanted to happen in my lifetime. And, um, you know, one was like go to New Zealand and see a sea cave. And I went to New Zealand and I forgot to see a sea cave. Oh, no! Which was like, yeah, ah! Um, but there I was like, buy a boogie board, some were easy, some were big, like make a difference, which I have to figure out if I did that, do a New York Times Sunday crossword puzzle by myself, and then one was win an Emmy. So the night that we won an Emmy for Everybody Loves Raymond, I mean, uh, for Sex in the City, I like was still in my rented jewels, <laughs> and I was still in my dress and heels, and I came home and I like checked it off. <laughs> but I had an experience where, uh, I think it was that one for Sex in the City, that I had written... So you know that there's an episode of Sex in the City where Carrie has her book party and then she goes home alone in a limo and she doesn't have a date and then her limo driver says she's feeling kind of alone because she's not plus one and her limo driver says, you wrote a book! And like takes her to, I think in the show that it was like a to Grace Papaya or something. Mm-hmm. But that happened to me because I was with everyone but I was not with a date and so when I got back in the limo I was just alone and then my driver was like, you won an Emmy. And we actually went through the McDonald's drive-through. I love that so much. I love that driver. So I was like, it's true. It's like, why does it matter that I don't have a date right now? Like, I won an Emmy. So I try to remember her in that. <laughs> I love that. Um, should we end on that? So, yeah, maybe we should end on that. But before we go, I just want to I, I want to do a shout-out to a couple sponsors. So I want I want to give a shout-out to my hairdresser, ah! Nicole Benables. Are you going to advertise it? Oh, I like it. Yes, so she has um, Hair Fresh Love. Her products are um, at the Ruby Begonia Salon in Studio City, and she is fantastic, and I love... She, she's, Soft, firm she, holes. She's the, <laughs> she's the uh, hairdresser on Will and & Grace and on Man With a Plan. She's phenomenal. And um, Enric Smokey from Quick Impressions, who if you need... Cindy, are you on this box? I have to look and see if you're on this box. You might be on this box somewhere. I don't know if you're on this box. Is wow, like, that's cool. So this is like a a women write a product t-shirt. you can um, get to advertise. Well, are you advertising women who write, or are you advertising the person who makes these? So boxes? I'm talking about Rick Smokey, who makes them from Quick Impressions in Chicago, and he does everything. I don't have my bookmarks and my my cards up, but if you need anything printed, if you need, this he's cool. he's really phenomenal, and okay. he. He's very philanthropic, and in fact, we're going to do a PSA, if you will, for the veterans that he um, he does all this stuff for veterans, and he's wonderful. And so, if you need anything printed, uh, thank you. Quick impressions from Chicago. We, we have Ben bookmarks and and Ben uh, cards, but um, he's phenomenal, and he's just a really good human being. And it's nice to give business to people who 
And Henny also gives incredible deals to people who have anything to do with this to everybody in the world. So anyway, to do so that. I'll be getting my Kleenex box. You'll be getting. You'll be getting my <laughs> picture. You'll be getting, yes. <laughs> well, no, but if you need anything, I don't know what you would need it for. But I don't know when your book comes out. When your next book for Otherhood to because cry because there's some it, sad scenes. There are. Why did I well, know you don't about need a this. tissue box, but you can. What you can. You I, I don't know what you could do for Otherhood. But okay, so before we go, uh -huh. what is Otherhood? What? Well, why Otherhood? Oh. So Otherhood, well, I since naming it that have learned from social media that there was a different book called Otherhood, uh -huh. and the woman who wrote it is not happy. So oh. buy her book, because that oh. was about women who don't have kids. But I didn't oh. know that. At a certain point, Kathy Shulman and I, she had done Bad Moms, and she said that was like a stage of life film, so maybe we needed to try to encapsulate how this film was about a stage of life, and it was always about empty nesting. but. Um, so we were saying they're not mothers anymore, and I thought I came up with otherhood, um, which I did. Um, so we named it otherhood, and um, and it's been kind of it, it. I feel like it means any time where your identity is shifting, you're having an identity crisis, and you're not sure who you are anymore. Mm -hmm. And so they, as moms, went through that. But I feel like we go through that sometimes when you get divorced, or when you first have kids, or first get married. So it's just like, who am I now? That moment. I'm an other. You're I an other. Yeah. I, get, I get it. I'm, I'm, a, I'm an empty nester, except my 25-year-old son still lives with me. But other than that, I'm an empty nester. <laughs> I know. It's, it's, it's a You're weird. An another. I, yeah, I'm, I'm another. That's right. I'm another. I like that. That's perfect. That's what I am. I'm anotherhood. Cindy, thank you so much for doing thank this. Thank you. Thank you for watching. And I so look forward to whatever you're going to do next, which I know will be phenomenal, or if I read you or hear you or... Thank you. See you next thing. It'll be terrific. Pete, yes. welcome back. Don't hey. uh, watch Otherhood on Netflix. And watch Otherhood on Netflix. And it's streaming. And I watched it myself. And you can do that too. And we'll see you next week. And uh, we'll see you Tuesday at Women Write.